Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keel Guard Studios. Oh, jeez. Oh, sorry, Aaron. I was almost late to the podcast. I was, I was out there working out again for F45 challenge oh my goodness welcome to the show everybody talking bass fishing and fitness there we go. <laughs> that is, oh, i love it i i thought there for a second you were taking a bowel movement but i got confused <laughs> sometimes it feels like that when i'm out there doing my 45 minute deal it's uh it's been good aaron i've, I've been enjoying this you know this is our uh third week into the process and uh, i've been staying true i have not lost the challenge yet we continue to compete in the f45 training.com challenge i'm excited about that aaron most people today just beginning the eight-week challenge october 15th through december 8th excited about that we've been posting our uh training updates on social media and um i'm already feeling like like uh, this U.S. Open is going to be one of my best ever because I'm going to feel so dang good. Absolutely. And I think coming off the year to which you qualified for the cup, of course, you are going to be in a better position to be right there back in it for 2020. So, no, I, I couldn't agree more, Kurt. I'm feeling good. Uh, it's amazing how much energy I have and and uh, posted a few of my results from my heart monitor. And it's amazing how many calories you can burn in 45 minutes. And then, of course, Saturday on those Hollywood workouts that are an hour, I hit like 891 calories uh, here not too long ago. So anyway, having fun. But what's even more fun is I've been talking a lot with my charity. They've already got that money committed when I win of where that's going. Yeah, we discussed this off the air, and now it's time to let the listeners know what charities we're actually competing for. So tell us a little bit about your charity. So mine is All Secure Foundation, and essentially um, it provides workshop retreats for special operations combat warriors and their spouses who more or less are battling adjustment to life on the home front because of really the effects of, of post-traumatic stress. And sure. what they're really good about doing is it's not just focusing on the warrior who is dealing with that because a lot of times if they get help, then – you know, the spouse or the family, the kids as well. It's like, okay, well, you got fixed. Now, what about the last several years of me dealing with this? So it's a holistic approach to the entire family unit. And it's one that I am definitely proud to represent and be involved with. What about you, Kurt? Yeah, well, you know, super, super good charity right there. Like like the thought concept. I'm leaving mine into the bass fishing world. As, as you know, Aaron, been working the last eight years with my youth camp fishing camp and this year we expanded into new york so we've got two sessions down here in texas and we'll have the same in 2020 we'll have another session in new york in 2020 and uh, that is the charity i'm going to be working for the scholarship funds that we provide to the uh, great performing youth anglers at camp so uh that's going to be the deal man we're going to give a thousand dollars from bass edge radio to one of our prospective charities and uh, we'll see how this whole thing turns out, but it's either going to be mine or yours. And I'm excited to uh, just feel the fruits of our labor. And I got to tell you one thing, I've been enjoying this process and we are both very, very close with MegaWare Keelguard. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to tell them that they best be on their toes because I might think about calling them out over there. Oh, yeah. We could get uh, a little going with uh, maybe Tori and uh, Ryan, perhaps Guy. I mean, uh, we could have some fun. Of course, 
we might not have a title sponsor <laughs> after, <laughs> after we do that, but hey, it'll be fun. Yeah, well, they've been with us for a long, long time. Since 2006, the inception of Bass Edge in earnest, and of course, a great sponsor of Bass Edge Radio. Make sure you check them out, keelguard.com. Megaware, lots of great products. The Flex Step, one of my favorite, and love the additional bling. The Skeg Guard, I've been getting most of my calls from my friends. Hey, Dove, I need a Skeg Guard. I need a Skeg guard have that skeg guard on your boat before you take it out on the water help protect your property help protect your motor and you're going to love all megaware products man it's just a great deal so i'm excited aaron about this fitness challenge i'm excited to continue this process it's been a fun couple weeks and uh man i just appreciate you calling me out and challenging me well, very welcome, and uh, I'm glad you took it the way you did because I just want Bass Edge Nation to know. Even Maya, my daughter, and Diana both like, um, does he know this? And Colin, when we were filming, they're like, uh, how well do you know Kurt? I said, very, very well. I said, uh, it'll be good for us. So great things for us, but also for a good cause as well. So Fun little twist this fall right here on Bass Edge Radio. But without further ado, we're going to get into a tackle tip, talk some fishing, bass fishing, some fall fishing. And uh, we've got a megastar that's going to be coming up with us on youtube so a lot to get to in this episode of bass edge radio stay tuned for this tackle tip going to make us all a little better angle this episode's protecttheharvest.com tackle tip with bassmaster elite series champion jamie hartman there's a little tip for you topwater guys. Everybody loves topwater, especially going into the fall time. Everybody likes to throw, used to be monofilament or whatever. Let's go with braid. Braid to a fluorocarbon leader. I have found that to be tremendously successful. The reason for that fluorocarbon leader, and we're going to make it a short leader, short, stiff fluorocarbon leader, 20 to 25 pounds. And by the time we're done with the bait and the, the knot on the braid, we're going to have about a 10-inch leader. So you take it, you tie an uh, Alberto knot with the stiff fluorocarbon onto your braid. Go ahead and tie your regular knot onto your top water. And what that does is it stiffens up that last 10 inches so that bait can't get flipped around onto your braid, which protects your braid. You can have breakoffs with it, and it makes it very, very stiff. When that bass comes up and blasts it out of the water the first time, it won't flip over your braid, and you're going to get another shot at that bass. Try that. I definitely guarantee you'll catch more fish on that. Jamie, awesome tip. Thanks for sharing. That's brought to you by protecttheharvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. 
Aaron, you are on the cusp of your championship. Let's break this down a little bit. You made the championship, so you had a fair year. You've been accustomed a on the Pro Elite Series to do fairly well. I mean, these are bodies of water you grew up on. You know them well. You're getting ready to go to Stockton for the championship. Let's talk about your year a little bit. I think that, you know, from my point of view, Aaron, there's been some dynamic change in your life and your lifestyle with work, kids, just a lot of different things going on in your life, yet you're still making time to be able to compete at a high level in your region and not maybe the success that you really want, but you're working it, bro. And uh, you're excited, I know, because we talked about it, about this championship coming up at Stockton. Yeah, I mean, I'm always excited to fish and certainly, you know, through the competition, that's just those two things really feed my desires. But Kurt, you bring up a lot of good things. There's a lot. I'll try and cover them as quickly as possible. But the championship, very excited to be a part of that. I've dealt with uh, Central Pro-Am really is how I kind of cut my teeth into the competitive fishing sure. as a co-angler, fishing from the back of the boat, right? Those in BFLs and uh, very interesting format. This is uh, on Stockton like you speak of. The interesting thing is, you know, that circuit has some of the top regional anglers that fish those. So it is a, it's a tough crowd. And like you speak of, you know, the conscious decision that I've made back in the day when you and I were running around filming the shows, you know, dating back 06, 07 range, um, the last season of shows that we filmed, I was going 178 days and we were on the water either filming, I was fishing yeah. the Bass Opens or wh whatever tournaments happen to be out there. Well, now that uh, has been reduced to about 20 days. But hey, you know what? I'm okay with that because like you spoke of, I have two daughters. They're at an age now to where their lives are getting busy. They're involved in some athletics and sports. Hey, let's say busy is an understated, crazy activity level going on. <laughs> <laughs> that, they are that all is kinds true. of integrate stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, you know, I love the sport and that's my passion. So it's interesting how we can prioritize and, and that is what I appreciate about our sport. We can do it at different levels and I've chosen to kind of step back and devote time. Obviously, I have other businesses that require that I really enjoy as well. So it's kind of just trying to have the best of, of both worlds and getting to do Bass Edge keeps me you know, involved with you guys and getting to talk and, and listen to what's going on out there. Um, I can't complain. You know, life is good. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Well, I know that the championship, you tend to excel. Last year, I think you finished seventh in the championship, yeah. not not too far out of the top five and just, you know, a couple big fish away from taking home the Nitro Z19 with Merck. I mean, a 40K package, it's a big deal. And um, like you said, you know, I mean, you got – Got some crazy hammers running around over there. One that I know, Shane Long, Marcus Sakura. I mean, did they, you know, the list goes on. So I know you've got your work cut out for you and you're excited for it. And, and this fall, we've had that Indian summer progressing, you know, and, and we're starting to see uh, some changes in that. But uh, I suspect it's going to be a tough tournament and wide open and probably a scenario where your mental attitude is going to play a big role in your success and and you're strong in that and and i feel like you're going to have an awesome tournament man i'm excited for it looking forward to talk about the results as this whole thing goes down in our next episode november one when we can break down what happened at the championship and, and talk more about 
on the water as far as what Aaron Martin's got going on. So I'm excited for it. Yeah, me too. I mean, literally we're days away and uh, I don't do a whole lot of looking into information in that before practice just because of water levels have been extremely high this year in that lake. It is a flood control lake and with all the rain in that that we had. So things getting back to normal, where is normal this year? You know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. That, that's hard to say. So <laughs> uh, no, I love the challenge. I love the adjustments and, and we'll see, you know, we'll know here in just a couple days. That's right. That's right. So without further ado, as Aaron gets ready to shove off here and rock this on, we're going to bring in a, another Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight special guest. This guy crushing it on social media, crushing it in the FLW tour. I mean, kind of like the new hipster dude running basically his own game, man. Just beats by his own drum. Really like this guy, Brian Latimer coming up. Bass Edge Radio. Stay tuned. I'm professional angler Bradley Roy. I am FLW Tour Pro Wade Strelick. I am professional angler Marty Robinson. I am farm to feet pro angler Andy Montgomery. I'm BASS elite angler Alton Jones Jr. I'm Dave Wolak, and you're tuned in to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron and Kurt. Know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Well, here we go with this episode's Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight, a first-timer here on Bass Edge Radio. Been working to get this fellow on the show since his big W earlier this year on the FLW Tour at Lake Seminole. Excited to welcome FLW Tour anger Brian Latimer. Great to get this opportunity to hook up, Brian. I appreciate you guys including me today, man. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Well, uh, we are happy to have, and Brian, like Kurt had mentioned, from my vantage point at least, you had your best year on tour. Talk to us a little bit about why you think that is. Why was this the year that you've had your best year on tour? Because it takes time, my man. It takes time. That's why. You don't just jump in this sport because you think you're a badass if you just take over. It takes time. You got to work at this thing, man. It's putting in a lot of work, a lot of hours, just thinking about mistakes, thinking about bad tournaments. You know, you just think about those things, start to process them, and it all just clicks. It, it happens the same way at the local level. When I was fishing BFLs, I didn't really do that good at first. And then something just clicked one day and I started doing really well. So uh, it happens at every level. I'll go through that process again. It's just a continual cleansing almost. Like you go through bad tournaments, you learn about the mistakes, and then you start having good tournaments. And then at some point you start having bad tournaments again and you go through it and you start having good tournaments. Just the ebb and flow of fishing. Yeah, there's definitely a, uh, you know, your high points and your low points. When you have those high points, Brian, how do you take that momentum and work with it? You know, it's so easy when it's a struggle, especially when you first start, right? We all have this crazy passion for bass fishing and we want to have this success that you've shown this year. Mentally, how do you overcome or push through that process to keep having that experience? And then, you know, like you said, just time is of essence in this game. Yeah, it's all about perspective. 
a lot of what we perceive as bad tournaments. I've had what people probably would perceive as, oh, dude, I feel sorry for you. You finished 89th and probably really was a good tournament for me. Like, I figured something out. I went back. I caught my fish. I don't beat myself up over bad tournaments. And good tournaments do nothing but build my confidence. So, like, for me, I win regardless. Even in bad tournaments, there's some that I do kick myself over where I make bad decisions or I listen to buddies when I'm the kind of guy that just does my own thing. But for the most part, dude, like, my perspective is I'm always winning. 39th, 79th, 102, or second, or first. Like, I still see the win in it. So it just kind of helps me. And then the other thing is my perspective on just, just how I kind of landed here. Like, I nobody gave me anything. I had to I had to scratch and claw my way through all of it. Right, so, right. Um, you know, bad tournaments is like, dude, it's so much better than, than digging holes like I used to do for a living. So <laughs> right. I, I just, I, I don't care. It doesn't, bad tournaments don't spin me out at all. It's like, so what? I don't have anything to prove to anybody, no other angler or no other person or nothing like that. So bad tournaments just don't, they don't have the same effect on me as they do a lot of other guys. That definitely helps push me over the hump. I like that perspective. Very critical. You talked about your buddies a little bit earlier. And this year, folks that follow the FLW Tour real closely, you had yourself, Scott Martin, Andrew Upshaw, John Cox, Tom Reddington, several of you living or traveling together through these events. Right. You guys had a really cool synergy. Obviously, three of you won this year yourself. And, and Andrew Upshaw, John Cox. Yeah, it's insane. Can you help explain to the listeners kind of that dynamic, how it came together, and if you felt like you know some of that synergy pushed you as a core group together to be very successful this year? You'd be surprised. I think a lot of people think we kind of work together and pull information. I can sense that without a lot of people saying it. When the actual truth is, I never heard or saw anybody share any type of fishing information other than, oh, this lake sucks, or man, it sucks today, like that kind of thing. I don't think any of us ever shared, at least I know my end, unless there was like a secret group, like a secret alliance within our house that was going on. We didn't share information really at all. But to rewind just a little bit, how that started on my end was actually by accident. I've always camped. I have a truck RV, and I've always camped. Right. Well, at the beginning of the season, I had a few issues with my truck camper right before we went to Rayburn. And I just could not get it all done before we went to Sam Rayburn before the tournament started. Just right. for getting your boat done and wraps and all that. Just the, And we started so early, I just couldn't get it fixed. And so really the only person I knew on tour that had like a talking relationship with was Scott. So uh, I called Scott. I knew that with all the hustle and bustle that went down with tournaments fishing last year with a couple of guys leaving, I knew that, you know, Matt left because him and Matt used to stay together. And sure. I just called Scott. I was like, hey, dude, can I stay with you guys at Raven? My camper is doing this and that. And so I stayed with him at Raven. He's like, cool. That's cool. So I was like the dog they fed and I never left. I didn't leave for the rest <laughs> of the year. <laughs> So that's how it happened on my end. It was actually an accident, never really planned. You know, we just kind of went from there. Like I said, there was no pooling of information, no like, oh, dude, I went down and then, you know, they're biting on this end. Like none of that went down at all. But what does help when you have a bad day of practice and you call two and then you get back and instead of sitting in your capper and looking at the walls for the rest of the night, trying to figure out what you're doing with your life, they're cameraing, cracking jokes, having fun. Speaking on John Cox, it lightens the atmosphere. And so your perspective hits a reset at night. 
that's the aura, that's the atmosphere, that's the kind of the climate that we had going on that helped me. Now, those guys might have a totally different perspective of the way it went down, but that reset that I was able to have at night when you come in after a bad day of practice, like Grand Lake, dude, I don't even think I caught for like three or four fish right. the entire practice in three days. And somehow I turned that into a top 10. But, you know, a lot of that comes from when I got to the house at night, I kind of just threw the practice day away and just forgot about it. And just, you know, you had fun, had somebody to talk to, you know, that helped. That helped a whole bunch. Yeah. It seems to me, you know, when I talk about the energy and the synergy that y'all bring together, you're a very positive individual. Obviously, you know, the way you answered the first question for listeners that don't know you very well, you know, your perspective, right? You look at some of the other guys that are in your house and and like John Cox, a dude just laughing all the time, right? Like All (laughs) the time, dude. He's really (laughs) like that. That's not a show. He's really like that. You got Scott Martin, who's, you know, he's always got something going on, right? I mean, dude works crazy hard. And, and he's always into filming some stuff and just talking about what's going on and, and everything else. Not just the fishing aspect, but so many other things that's going on with him, you know. And obviously, right. Rick Shaw and, and Reddington all, you know, very positive. I feel like you guys probably, and, and I was less about information, but more about lifting yourselves up together. You know, I really feel dude. like that is probably a piece of this puzzle. 1,000%, dude. We sat around and talked. When you, anytime you go to a fishing seminar, go to anything when you're talking about competition number one thing we always talk about is mental preparedness or or, oh this game is more mental all of us can fish but some of us have a better mental capacity and still we never really practice or double down on that we worry about how sharp our hooks are and what kind of line and how big your boat is and what kind of grass and we never put any energy into positivity or our, our mental aspect we don't put any any effort into that whatsoever. And so, like, if we would take probably just a third of the time that we spend preparing tackle and, like, actually just suffocating all that negativity, I think you'll see an improvement. Like, just forget about, you know, if you've got enough red bug trick worms or whatever. Forget about all of that and just try to figure out how to get your mind right instead of worrying about all those small details that at the end of the day, it curved for you. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a number one high boost instead of a number two. Like, that, that ain't getting it done. If we kind of figure that part out first... I really think that goes a lot farther than the details that we really stress over more. Well, I certainly like your approach, Brian, to that. I think that's just a quality outlook to have on fishing in life. And certainly that echoes really with kind of Dr. Jay McNamara's perspective on what we talk about often uh, through his book. I want to switch gears just a little bit because it, at least in my neck of the woods, we're getting later into fall. I had several huh. mornings in the 50s, uh, which is kind of neat to see as things happen. But what that means to the fish is hopefully they're becoming a bit more stable in their movements. Do you see fish behavior transitioning from roaming on bait in the early fall Mm -hmm. to perhaps more stable patterns as the fall progresses? So um, keep in mind, I live in the upstate of South Carolina and our fisheries are very unique. So my perspective on this fall fishing stuff is probably somewhat taboo. Some of our worst fishing is is in the fall early fall you know october we got the turnover going on it still can be hot like you just said you had mornings in the 50s we ain't got that (laughs) it's still in like our lows is still in the upper 60s and 70s at night and it's still in the mid 90s but there's years you know where we do get those cold snaps 
And um, to be quite honest with you, just and I'm just talking from experience here. I'm not sure if this fits, the, you know, what we were trying to accomplish. But just from my experience, most of the time when we we're talking about fall time fishing, it's at home for me because we don't really have tournaments in the fall, so I don't really travel to different places in the fall. But our fishing sucks in the fall, man. It's bad. The transitions in the fall aren't as drastic, so it's hard for you to kind of intersect fish transitioning to those fall patterns just because the weather patterns aren't as drastic. The cold fronts aren't as drastic and sharp, so the fish just don't react quite as quickly. It makes it a lot more difficult where I'm from anyway. And uh, you got this whole fall turnover. You got to throw that in the mix. That makes things difficult because what happens is all the water temperature in the entire lake is pretty much the same temperature, and it spreads out all the bait fish and forage. So the fish, they just spread out all over the ecosystem. You just have a lot of slim pickings. But my approach for it, we have a lot of spotted bass. When we get to the fall, early fall, late September, October, mainly October, I started to concentrate on spotted bass. They're just easier to target. You catch more of them. They're fun. They like school. They're a little bit more aggressive. I've started to realize that they're actually more active during the fall time of the year. So um, that's what I've started to target. And I fish just typical reaction baits, try to cover as much water as I can, jerk baits, rattle traps, top waters, things that I can move fast. Throw a lot of swim baits too, hard plastic swim baits and some soft plastic swim baits, but uh, things that you can move with. Try not to spend a lot of time in one area, like I said, because the fish are spread out so sparse throughout the ecosystem. You really got to cover a lot of water to find any fish. Brian, in your experience, when does the water temperature get low enough that you start to see some more stable patterns as fall progresses, even into winter? Um, whether that yeah. is next month in November, or, or does that start happening mid-late December? When do you see it, that kind of pick up where sucky fishing turns into at least some stableness. You know, I wish I could just turn that into a date and like just count on it every year, but our, our weather patterns in the Southeast can range drastically. One year, that might be early September or late September. Right. Then the next year, dude, it can be 90 degrees all the way until Thanksgiving. So there's not a date or not a time where I can say second week in October, you can count on them. They're going to be doing X, Y, and Z. Specifically, fall fishing is not fall fishing, in my opinion, until we get water temperatures in the probably low 70s upper 60s um and that's kind of that little stinky period right there where it starts to kind of get funky but once it gets in the low 60s upper 50s that's when things really you can start to count on they start to get in the ditches they start to do things that are more predictable and it takes a lot of cold weather to get your temperatures from 90 92 93 94 all the way back down to 60 and so you're, you're talking around thanksgiving honestly i don't have good fishing where i live in south carolina until we get to thanksgiving predictable fishing you know like where i can take you guys out and say look we're gonna do this we're gonna do that we're gonna catch them this way it's always until thanksgiving between august and october it's really kind of the same fishing there's no difference it sounds like we ought to take care of all our honeydews in in october and wait till yeah. it gets nice and cool in, in december yeah <laughs> you know, unless it's one of those weird years. We've had years, Cameronville was last year, two years ago, we had a bunch of hurricanes and a lot of fronts we went through and the lake got really hot and it was cold. Right. Then we had really good fishing in October, you know, late September and October. But this year, you know, we're in October already, it's still 95 degrees, 92, 93, 94, 95. So the fish is no different than it was in August. Nothing's yeah. changed at all so you can't really just dial it down to a date you really got to be sensitive to what you know what weather patterns you're having every year and that, and that kind of just sets your mind to, 
to what you need to be doing. Quickly, let's touch on a Grass Lake scenario. Lake Seminole, that's where you won your tour event earlier this year. I remember you mentioning kind of after that event that some previous experience, you know, helped you kind of guide you to some areas and kind of understanding some grass fishery migration, specifically at that time in the spring. Let's transition that to the fall. You know, how do you feel like some of these late October grass-filled impoundments and and what are you looking for in these fish at fall migration that might be a little bit different? You're going to love this conversation. <laughs> uh, so the upstate of South Carolina, the nearest blade of grass to where I live is probably, I don't know, a couple, 300 miles. <laughs> South Georgia. I, I, South I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have any experience fishing grass whatsoever. The only grass fishing I have experience with is probably something I've experienced on the FLW tour or, right. or fishing the Everstarts. We don't have grass where I live. I don't know what they do in the fall. <laughs> frog, I guess. I don't know. I couldn't tell you because we have very few tournaments or yeah, any tournaments right. on grass fisheries in the fall from a tourist aspect. Now, what helped me with Seminole this year is I used to fish the BFLs and our regional was on Seminole. I've been there probably six or seven times before this year. Okay. But I know I fished at least two regionals, which were always in, you know, late October, November. And I would get my butt absolutely kicked across the planet every <laughs> single time at Seminole. Because I, I, dude, I didn't even have braided line the first time I went to Seminole. I didn't have, uh-huh. I didn't have anything to fish grass with. None of that. All foreign to me. But, but sort of like what I was telling you earlier, rewinding all the way back to the front of the podcast right i was still winning even though i was getting my butt kicked because i was watching i was listening to how people caught them i saw where they caught them i saw what was going down even though i didn't get to participate in it so i was still winning back in 2005 when i finished 179th in the regional there i still won because i had that experience and i brought all the way to 2019 but to the point of the conversation i don't know because we, I don't get to fish that stuff. As long as I've been fishing and I don't even remember starting fishing, like I'm still learning things. I don't know everything and I don't know, I don't know what fish do in the fall on a grass that's, fishery at all. So this, let me this, screw your podcast up. No, no, no. <laughs> that's actually I have the, no idea. <laughs> I was just going to say, this is probably the best answer we've ever had to a question in all honesty, because I have uh, no idea. You know, the fact is, is that we, we talked about experiences and, you know, moving into new revelations of, of fishing and you winning even when you're losing and talking about fall grass fishing. It's something that is yet still on your table to uh, experience. Yes. And we never stop learning in this game, no matter what we do. I feel like, you know, Rick Clun is still learning about basketball, yeah. right? No yeah. matter who you are, yeah. how many experiences you've had. So uh, it's a great perspective for listeners to understand that two plus two doesn't always equal four in this game. It just yeah. doesn't. You yeah. know, it's, no, not at all. It can right. mean a whole lot of different things. So, man, awesome stuff. Great transparency. Hang tight. We're going to dive into more late fall fishing. Take a look at your success on social media after a quick break. Everyone hang right here. Bass Edge Radio will be back in a moment. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio, presented in part by Mercury Marine, returns with FLW Tour angler Brian Latimer in the Lucas Oil 
Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. For oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. Brian, another quick question on fall fishing after the break here. I read in a bio you listed, and you actually mentioned this earlier in the podcast, you listed one of your favorite baits, the lipless crankbait. When is the best time to employ this technique in fall fishing? The way I like to use it is going to be early fall. You have a lot of fish school on those real small shad. You know, thrift-inch shad tend to be most prevalent where I fish in the fall this time of year. So it's really good because you can cover a lot of water with it. You can fish it really fast. I can let it sink. I can keep it up high. I can do whatever I need to do with it. So uh, it's just a good bait. It's always worked. You know, I think everybody that's ever had a fishing rod in the hand has probably caught a bass on a rattle trap. So uh, it's just easy to use. Can't do it wrong. It's sort of like the Ned Rig. If you're just putting your hand through it, you're probably fishing it somewhat right. So that's, that's just the reason I like to use it. Well, Brian, lots of anglers, you know, discuss fall topwaters, and there seems to be a lot of short strikes this time of year. What's your favorite follow-up lure when a bass does miss the topwater? You know, there again, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, our area, a region of the country is so different. I don't really follow up with anything, and I do a lot of topwater fishing, you know, in the southeast here on a blueback herring lake, and you don't stop the bait when you're fishing. The way we fish, it may be over, I may be fishing over 50 foot of water, 30 foot of water, almost always 20 foot or more with walking style baits. Don't ever follow up with anything that sinks. A lot of guys throw back, you know, some kind of stick bait or shaky head or whatever. And that's always about context. That works really great when fish are spawning and they're in that locale when they bite. You know, you bring it over the head, they bite it, they miss it. You can throw back in there because that fish is likely there. Well, the context of fishing in the fall, those fish are chasing shad. So you're really probably not going to follow up. Once he strikes your lure, he's probably 20 yards somewhere else. Now, the biggest thing that I see guys make mistakes with that I've taken fishing when we're fishing in the fall and fish are schooling and they're short striking and so forth. Number one, don't ever set the hook. I don't even set the hook over the top water. Using braided line, a medium action rod, I just keep working the bait until he gets it. Never stop it. When he's jumping all over, just keep working when it tightens up, he'll tighten down on it if he's got it. I just keep on reeling. Never set the hook. Never do anything. Just keep reeling. Keep working the bait. Never stop it. I don't care if you got 10 five-pounders jumping over the top of it. Do not set the hook. Just keep reeling. So I don't follow up with any baits. I just keep working the bait. If he's going to get it, he's going to get it. In the context of the way I, I'm used to fishing in the fall, follow-up baits are really just a non-factor. You're pretty much wasting your time. There you go. Good stuff. We talked a little bit before we started on air for the podcast about your YouTube channel. Hugely popular. I want you to talk a little bit about your initial beginnings, uh, what the basic concept is behind your channel, and what attributes do you feel like allow for this blow up that you've had? Dude, I remember earlier this year, you know, I watch your videos, but you don't always look at like subscribers and stuff like that. And I remember, you know, I looked earlier this year and you had like 30, 35K subscribers. Dude, just before the interview, I checked this out and you have almost 75, 80,000 subscribers. Dude, it's off the chain. Tell me about it. Yeah, it's been a good year on YouTube as well. The beginnings of my YouTube, it started out of necessity. I had to. I had to figure out how I was going to make money when tournament fishing wasn't going right. I knew that I needed something to help me float the tour. I knew I wasn't going to just jump in the tour and then all of a sudden it'd just be gravy training and dollars pouring in. The other thing is I knew I wanted my success in my career to be in my hands and not in FLW's hands or some sponsor hands. I didn't want to start back working for the man. 
I've never worked for anybody else my entire life. I've never had a nine to five. I've never clocked in. I've always been the boss. And just looking at how fishing worked and I saw how other anglers had sponsors and so forth. And in my mind, they were just really working for other people. And I didn't want that. I wanted to be in control of my destiny. That's the way I figured out to do that was to create a brand through using video content. That was what I saw, my way of being my own self-employed guy and me owning the reins to my company, that being fishing, you know, a tournament fisherman. So um, I had to do it anyway. And once I understood that that was going to be the way that I controlled my career, it really kind of gave me more confidence and gave me more of a kick in the butt to really double down on it. Like you were saying, I did have a really big spike this year, but quite honestly, I'm just figuring out what people like for me. And um, once I figure that out, you know, things are kind of snowball pretty fast. So that's actually what I'm doing now. I'm sitting here talking to you in Venice, filming YouTube videos now, Venice, Louisiana. So I've had a lot of fun with that. It's almost like the tournament season is my downtime now. And then the off season, when everybody thinks the off season is when I really kind of kick it in the gear and, and go to work. So uh, it's been a lot of fun and, and definitely without a doubt, it's something I'm glad I started doing. Well, Brian, let's run with that for a second, because you bring up some very good points, you know, in this day and age of all the platforms of how media is delivered. It's not only revolutionized uh, many things of just how we receive news, but certainly education and fishing. Can you offer a a few tips for individuals that's looking to either begin a YouTube channel to promote themselves or, you know, maybe they already have one going? What has your experience showed that are those keys to more or less getting off to a good start and a good foundation, but also then maybe to take it to the next level like you speak of? Start today everybody's overthinking this crap, dude. So it makes me want to vomit sometimes talking to people about it. Because you're like, oh, what camera? And what do I need to do in this? And how much does it cost to hire a camera guy? I don't have any of that fancy stuff. I still, to this day, do not have a camera. I use my cell phone. I have... I just now got rich enough to buy three GoPros. Now I got three GoPros. At first, I didn't even, I had one GoPro that worked sometime and sometime it didn't. But everybody's so worried about equipment. Don't worry about that crap. You don't even know what you're doing yet. So don't go invest in a whole bunch of stuff. I would say get you a good computer. That helps a whole bunch. But up until probably a month ago, I had a cell phone and one GoPro. So my advice would be just stop overthinking all this crap. Stop overthinking Instagram. Stop overthinking Facebook. Post the daggum picture and move on with life. That's my advice for it. Like everybody's, do I have the right hashtag? Do I have the right caption? Is it in focus? Is, is it high res? That None of that crap matters. It doesn't matter, especially in the beginning. Uh, you know, maybe later on your greatest platform to be what Scott Martin is or some of the other guys that really done leaps and bounds above like what I got going on. But in the beginning, when you have five people following you, it doesn't matter. Like you just need to kind of get good at just telling your story and just documenting whatever you're trying to do. So my advice is just don't overthink any of it. Just do it. Like just get the crap out there. Just take the picture and post it. Good stuff. Get it out good, there. good advice. Yeah, especially on the videos, seems like uh, just the general aspect of a person's character. Just be yourself, you know, oh, no and, and post yeah. consistently and, you know, good things are going to happen. Whatever path yeah. you're supposed to be on is going to develop for yourself. So it's good stuff Absolutely. right there. Brian, let's let's work over a quick listener question. This segment's brought to us by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Richard, I'm going to butcher this, Richard. I apologize, but it looks like Ellert 
Richard Ellert, Brian, here's the question. What is the best lure to use when the bass are consistently breaking the surface? I fish Decker Lake in Austin. Sometimes the bass start breaking the surface, and for some reason, they just won't hit anything. They're chasing shad, tried to match the hatch. Brian, how can Richard catch more fish? Dude, I could give you a handful of baits. It's hard to narrow it down to one. Uh, Three-inch swim bait, without a doubt. Three-inch paddle tail swim bait. I would use a Ned Rig. That's probably one of the best baits in the world to catch school and fish with as a shad-colored TRD. Or... Um, we throw a lot of jointed swim baits where I live. So like a smaller jointed hard plastic swim bait. Topwater, ironically, probably wouldn't be the first bait I throw in there. It'd probably be something subsurface to start with. Do you think colors, when schooling fish are doing that and you're going after those, whether you're doing subsurface or on the surface, do you think color has a, a big impact on those type of scenarios, Brian, or, or is it more of a reaction? Yes. Color matters. There's no doubt, especially in the clear water situation. Uh, you know, as long as it's not a dark water situation or low light situation, color matters. It, it absolutely matters. You know, they, they definitely react to uh, certain colors better than they do other colors. What color that is, that's the whole thing this fishing deal is. And that's what you got to figure out by the day. But color matters. That's why we have thousands of pounds of tackle. And that's why tackle manufacturers are producing thousands of skews of colors because colors matter. Gotcha. Well, Brian, thanks for answering that question. And Richard, certainly best of luck in uh, going after those schooling fish. But before you do that, we need one more thing from you. And that is to simply go to BassEdge.com. Click on the Claim Your Prize segment. Let us know that you heard Brian answer your question on episode 314 and provide your mailing address, and we will get the Bass Edge gift sent directly to your house. And a reminder, as always, keep sending in those questions, Bass Edge Nation. Man, we've been getting a lot of great questions, just like Richard's today. Got a shot at winning another gift from Bass Edge Radio in the next couple episodes. Just email us, support at BassEdge.com, or leave those questions on our social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Well, Brian, uh, thank you for hanging with us here at Bass Edge Radio. So glad to have you on your first episode, and hopefully this is the first of many more to come. Any final thoughts for the listeners? Just go fishing, dude. That's all I got for you. <laughs> Plain and simple. I like it, Brian. I'm Plain and simple. <laughs> I'm going to send you off with our final segment. we got a little deal for last questions for you. You get one lure. What's it going to be? Uh, Z-Man Ticklers. Your favorite body of water? Oh, dude, anywhere. I don't care. It's one, anyone that's got a bass in it, that's cool. Oh, it doesn't even have to be a bass. <laughs> and your soft drink of choice? Dr. Pepper. And your go-to boat snack? Dude, that's a tough one. I eat a ton of stuff. The little bitty oranges, the cuties. Everything's <laughs> yes. orange when you're from South Carolina. I, I know they're not oranges, but, you know, nectarines or something like that, those little bitty ones. Yeah, yeah, little nectarines. That's right, that's right. That's yeah, good yeah stuff. That, right. that's my go-to boat snack. Nice, healthy choice. That's how you stay good and fit. I like it. All right, Brian, thanks so much, man. Look forward to staying tuned on your YouTube channel this off-season. Tell us real quick how everyone can find you on YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, just type my name in the search bar. It's Brian Latimer, B-Lad, any of that stuff. You can, should be able to pop me up. It's just my name. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Brian underscore Latimer. And on Facebook, it's Brian Latimer Fishing. Well, lots of great content there, Brian. Appreciate you doing this on the show again. Hang right here, Bass Edge Nation. We're going to be right back after these messages. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard Keel Protectors are made tough 
and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Aaron, couple key deals. You know, we talked about some fall fishing. Talked about Brian's way of, you know, perspective. Always being a winner, whether he finishes 150th, 120th, or first. Always being a winner at the end of the game, no matter how thing goes, because he's able to fish, get out there, do his thing. One thing I feel like kind of spread the doors a little bit farther open on this is his entrepreneurship, right? I mean, that's what it takes. Like he mentioned, you know, no one gave him anything, no one set him up to go do something. He figured out how to do what he wants to do and, and live this passion of bass fishing. And he did it with uh, an entrepreneurial mindship. He's been always been his own boss. I mean, I think that says a lot to a youth angler these days, or even a guy in his thirties or forties thinking, man, how do I make this jump? You know, I really want to take the plunge, you know, maybe someone in their twenties, whatever it is, but entrepreneurship is a must in this game to be successful and to carve out your niche. Could not agree more. And that is not only a good fishing lesson, that is a good life lesson right there because just like, you know, to reduce this to, let's just say Maya, right? I've told her time and time again when looking at colleges and education, and yes, that piece of paper and showing that you can get through that is important. But at the end of the day, you used to be unique if you had a certain degree or possessed a certain piece of paper, went to a certain school. Now that's not necessarily just enough, Kurt, right? You have to do the same thing by being able to speak well, being able to market yourself. And I think what Ryan has done is more or less, he's just been real. I mean, that was the thing that he said he's he has the attitude he has the desire and so he's out there doing it but when he is on film or tape or actually his iphone like he said he doesn't even own a camera up until just the gopros that he bought he's just about being real and people appreciate that authenticity and i think that is why that he's been able to grow his brand like he has and it's also produced success on the water yeah authenticity transparency as i mentioned in the interview itself one of the greatest answers ever on our show is man i just haven't quite experienced that very much so i can't answer that question really well as that was this question the answer to one of the questions in the show and that's what you gotta love about that you know just a great dude all around putting it down putting it down his way and providing what information he does know and figuring out stuff he doesn't. I love it. Yeah, positivity, and I think that group that uh, he fortunately was able to, as a result of having problems with his camper, got in with certainly all that momentum starts working together and things are clicking. Speaking of clicking, we want to keep you from clicking on the stop button, so I'm going to do it for us as we need to shut this down. Kurt and I always enjoy doing this. We know that you guys have a lot of choices of what you uh, spend your time doing, and we appreciate you guys spending it here with us. In the meantime, be sure visit us at BassEdge.com, all of our social media platforms to stay up on every Everything Bass Edge. We will see you next time. Hard to believe, November 1st for episode 315. So long, everybody.
is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lowrance Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. 